0: Before turning with me to Judges chapter 8, if you would uh, look to um, Matthew uh, chapter 25 with me. Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to begin reading in verse 31. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He set upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on the right hand, but the goats on the left. And then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee uh, hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a uh, stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, in as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a-hungered, and you gave me no meat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? And then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not, to one of the least of these you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. In Matthew chapter eighteen, I won't turn you back there, the Lord speaking concerning the little children. He said, Who shall ever receive one such little child in my name receiveth me? But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it would better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he was drowned in the depth of the sea. Now those little children are you. Those who believe in Christ. You're His children. (laughs) And... With the Lord, it's no insignificant matter as we've seen from these verses to treat His people, His children badly. Our Lord takes it personal. (laughs) Very personal. Now, to Judges chapter 8. Last study, we saw that the men of Succoth and Peniel who were of Israel they cared little for Gideon and his small band of three hundred men, even though they were their brethren after the flesh. Gideon and his men were pursuing two of the Midianite kings, Zeba and Zalmunna, and they were famished and faint, yet still pursuing. We looked at that. What a, an encouragement that is to God's people. We often grow faint, we grow weary, we grow tired. Yet we still pursue. And we do so because we know who's gone before us. We know whose victory this is. We know who's finished the work for us. So we pursue on. And they come to these princes at Succoth and Peniel and they ask, Gideon asked for bread for his men, he said, for those that follow me, he, they traveled on to Peniel and received the same rejection. They said, no. Now, what's going on here? Well, the men of Succoth were skeptical skeptical of Gideon's ability to defeat these fleeing Midianite army men, and, and they were doubtful that he would capture the two kings. Let's just be honest about it. That's what they were. If Succoth helped Gideon and Gideon failed, then the Midianites might come back and to Succoth and retaliate against them. And uh, that's nothing. Uh, and it was the same with Peniel. That's nothing but unbelief. That's, right. that's not believing that God will do what He said He would do. God had cut their army from thirty-five thousand down to three hundred. And God had already destroyed all but 15,000 of their army by having them turn against themselves and kill themselves. (laughs) What a God. And um, nothing but unbelief. And Gideon wouldn't fail because the Lord was the one fighting the battle. And that's our encouragement. This kind of action and treatment, well, it didn't set well with Gideon and it certainly didn't set well with the Lord of hosts. And to such offenders, I think how fearful the words, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Yes, sir. Oh, I, I tell you, I, I, I would not want to be someone who had offended the Lord. And yet, we often do. Thank God for Christ who covers our sins. Puts them away. Now the history of Succoth and Peniel is somewhat important in understanding these pas- this passage. Succoth is where the Lord began to lead His people with the pillars of cloud and fire after they left Egypt. It was at Succoth that was. As a matter of fact, the Israelites celebrated Uh, this occasion every year. But it seems that Succoth had forgotten the gracious God that had led them. Peniel, if you remember, in our study of uh, uh, Exodus, was uh, where Jacob had wrestled with the angel who was the Lord Jesus. And I might add that he never walked the same again, did he? And it... When we wrestle with the Lord, we don't, and and the Lord blesses us as He did Jacob. We don't walk the same either by His grace. And that place was given the name Peniel, which means "I've seen the face of God." And the men of Peniel had forgotten the face of the God of Jacob. And what a picture both Succoth and Peniel are of the professing believer who forgets what took place at Calvary. When we lose sight of helping a brother in need, we lose sight of Calvary where true love was exhibited. Our Lord said, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And Calvary is where our Lord in love and mercy and grace paid the debt of sin and fool for His people. And he set the precedent of how we should love one another. If we struggle with loving one another, we need to but look to Calvary and see that there's no greater love than what Christ uh, had there for his people. The princes of Succoth and the men of Peniel refused to help Gideon and his men. They held out to see how things would turn out. They feared that helping their brethren might work against them. They, in essence, they walked by sight and not by faith. These, they see these fifteen thousand Midianites fleeing, and with, and just these three hundred Israelites fleeing after them. And uh, naturally speaking, men would say, "Well, the odds are not in favor of Gideon and his men." But God didn't work by the odds of the world or man, does he? The odds were actually in their favor since it was actually one against 15,000. Not not three hundred one, Just one against 15,000. And that's always the case when the one is the Lord God of heaven and earth. That which sucketh and feared the most wind up coming upon them. Vengeance on the tribe of Gad will be from the Lord. He'll repay, as we'll see. It's never, it's never a good thing to walk by sight when God has given us the faith to see who it is that fights for us. It's so easy for us to get, but our uh, the, the war is over. It's finished. It's accomplished. Yet we still fight day by day with the flesh, with the world, with religion. So there's four things in particular I want us to see tonight. The first thing is seen in verses four and five, and it's probably one of the most important things to consider in all the scriptures, and that's need, the need. Verse 4, and Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Succoth, give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me. Gideon was more concerned, as I said, for his men than himself. He said, for they be faint, and I'm pursuing after Zebuns and Zalmunna, kings of Midian. How many times have we seen in the Old Testament studies that names mean something? Both the names Zeba and Zalmuna mean deprived of protection. Both of their names mean deprived of a sacrifice. That's proof that their doom is certain. So it is with all who are without Christ. They're deprived of a sacrifice. Christ being the only perfect sacrifice that God will accept. They're both without the protection of a substitute. They don't have a substitute, those who are without Christ. Without Christ, they'll face the God of heaven and earth, wrath and justice. What a horrific thought to go out and meet God without a sacrifice and a substitute. Gideon and his army picture the the people of God and his church. The church is weary. She's faint, yet she's pursuing. But she never gives up. Why? Her strength in the Lord. That's what kept Gideon and these 300 men going. And her need is simple. She needs bread. She needs Christ, the bread of life. She needs Christ, who's the river of living water. Christ is her sustenance. Christ is her life. She doesn't seek help from the world. She seeks help from those she believes to be her brethren. That's why we don't forsake ourselves at the assembling together for worship. We're here to, to learn more of Christ and grow in the grace and the knowledge of Him. But we're here to encourage one another. Secondly, in verses six through eight, we have the response of the princes of Succoth. That's the second thing echoed by the men of Peniel. In verse six, it says, and the princes of Succoth said, are the hands of Ziba and Zalmunna now in thine hand that we should give bread unto thine enemy? You see, an interesting note here is in the days of the judges, when enemies were captured, they used to cut off their hands and uh, so that they would never... First of all, they'd never be able to fight again. And they also this also, the cutting off of hands, served as a warning and a deterrent to other potential enemies. And Gideon, as the chosen judge of Israel, had every right to expect help from, from Succoth and Peniel while they were of the tribe of Gad, of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. They, the Midianites had plagued them as they had the same as they had Gideon and all the other tribes. Mm-hmm. Succoth and Peniel had everything to gain by helping Gideon defeat the Midianites, but they forgot God. They forgot that God kept every promise. The two cities were, as I said, of the tribe of Gad, and they, along with the Reubenites and half the tribe of Manasseh, if you remember, they're the ones that remained on the other side of Jordan. When they went to cross over, they said, we like this land over here. This is good for our cattle. This is good. This is good for our business. They were more concerned with, with prosperity. They loved the world and The land was better suited for raising their cattle. And the name Succoth actually means booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. That was the place, if you remember, where (laughs) Jacob put up uh, booths, put up pens for his cattle when Esau came out to meet him. And it was named Succoth because of that. And the tribe of Gad, along with the Reubenites and half the tribe of Manasseh, were thinking only of themselves. When they wanted to stay on that side of Jordan, they'd forgotten the Lord. And it seems as if they didn't believe that this was really their fight. They wanted to remain neutral just in case the Midianites were successful against Gideon. What unbelief, what unfaithfulness. Over and over and over again in the scriptures, God's people are warned, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. Don't let your heart be lifted up and forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Don't you forget. Don't you forget. And in verse seven, and Gideon said, therefore when, not if, but when, Therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zamuna into mine hand, He's going to deliver them into my hand, <laughs> no matter what you or anybody else thinks. I know there's just three hundred of us, but we've already taken care of hundreds of thousands, <laughs> and uh, it's it's not a matter of if, but it, but when we. God delivers Ziba and Zalmunna into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. Most every time the words thorns and thistles and briars is used in the scriptures, it has to do with the curse. When Adam was cursed and sent out of the garden, it was, he said, you're going to make your living out of the, from your, the sweat of your brow and out of the thorns and the thistles of the earth and uh, the wages of sin the curse is dead. and what's their response It's the response of many professing believers today it's a response of unbelief that's what unbelief is it's a response men make when they see rather than a, as to what they see and rather than a response of what god has promised that's what faith is that's believing God and what He's promised. Not what we see, not what we think, not what we look at the odds to be. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3, For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true in every man alike. Men's unbelief never makes God's, un, God's faithfulness ineffective. Never. Absolutely not. And faith doesn't have any options, friends. Faith obeys God. Unbelief doesn't. Regardless of how things look, faith believes God. Unbelief waits to see how things turns out. Faith gives bread. Faith without works is dead. These men didn't have any faith. And that's seen in their response. They loved the world and the things of the world. And it cost them their lives. Unbelief is the one thing that will. You know that? Unbelief is the one thing that will cost you your life. It's the one thing that God will not forgive. Unbelief. And it was the same with the men of Peniel. Look at verse 8. And he went up thence to Peniel, and he spake unto them likewise. And the men of Peniel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake unto the men of Peniel, saying, When I come again in peace, I'll break down this tower. Now the tower of Peniel, undoubtedly they had this big high tower there. And uh, it represents the high tower men make of their own will and work and worth and way. And our Gideon, our champion, the Lord Jesus, is going to break it down. Amen. Any high tower man makes, he's going to tear down. The word tower means a castle. Man, uh, it also means a bed of flowers. I thought that was pretty interesting. That's what man makes for himself. He makes a castle of refuge. He makes... a it's His bed of flowers. But the true child of God has but one refuge. The Lord is our strong tower, and the righteous runneth into it, and is safe. Proverbs 18.10 Verse 10, Now Ziba and Zalmunna were in Karkor, and their hosts with them, about 15,000 men, all that were left of the host of the children of the east, for there fell a hundred and twenty thousand men that drew a sword. As I alluded to a minute ago, they killed themselves. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east side of Noba and Jogbehal, and smote the host, for the host was secure. That simply means that they were confident that they were now safe, that they were in hiding, that they'd outrun Gideon, and they, everything was okay. And here's another interesting observation having to do with names. Zeba and Zalmuna are in Karkor and that name means foundation. No matter where you go and try to hide from God, there is no safe or sure foundation other than the Lord Jesus Christ. They were sitting there in Karkor and they're like, okay, we're safe now. All's good. We've made it. We've outrun them. We've hid from them. And we've got us a good foundation here. No, no, there is no foundation other than the Lord Jesus. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 So Gideon goes on, goes away that the Midianites would not expect and he defeats these 15,000 and he and the the two kings take off running again and he pursues them and he captures them. Now look at verse 12. And when Zeba and Zalmunna fled, he pursued after them and he took the two kings of Midian, Ziba and Zalmunna, and discomfited all the host. And Gideon the son of Joash returned from battle before the sun was up. God made quick work of this. And he caught a young man of the men of Succoth and inquired of him. And he described unto him the princes of Succoth and the elders thereof, even threescore and seventeen men. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. Gideon finds this young man and he takes him aside and he's inquisitive. He asks him some questions. Who are the these princes and these leaders in Succoth? And and uh, he receives the names and addresses <laughs> Of these young men, and he writes them down. and in this Gideon shows great wisdom, and he shows strict justice. These men are going to be destroyed, not with the, not the innocent with the wicked. He's taking the names of those that were guilty. And isn't that what the Lord does? <laughs> the Lord knows who are His. The Lord knows how to save His people. The Lord knows how to spare His people. And He knows how to punish the wicked. They're written in a book. It's the Lord's book. And then thirdly, we see the consequence of Sucketh and of' actions. There's always a consequence to unbelief. Always. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, he shall also reap. I wonder if we would often do the things we do if we kept that in mind. Oh, I'm going to reap what I sow here. God help us to keep that in mind. We don't want to do anything that would be dishonoring to the Lord and bring reproach upon ourselves. In verse 15, And he, Gideon came unto the men of Succoth, and he said, I can just picture this in my mind. He, he rides into their camp with these two kings. And he said, Behold Zema and Zalmunna with whom you did abrade me. You remember just a day or so ago when you, you said, uh, Are the hands of Zema and Zalmunna now in thine hand? That we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? Here they are. I told you what I was going to do. Gideon brings to the Succoth these two kings and he's, he's going to show these princes of Succoth and the men of Peniel firsthand what the Lord has done. And that's what preachers do. We we endeavor to show men what the Lord has done. Since they're determined to walk by side. God's going to show them that these things... Um, show them these things before He condemns them. You going to walk by sight? Okay, here you go. You see them? (laughs) The Lord delivered them into my hand just as He said He would, just as I told you He would. So Gideon takes these 77 men, these elders whose names were written down. Verse 16 says, "...and He took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars..." And with them he taught the men of Succoth. He made the other men of Succoth to know the consequence of unbelief. And in verse 17, And he beat down the tower of Peniel and he slew the men of the city. Now we're not told how Gideon used these thorns and briars. Some of the commentators believe that he covered them with these Thorns and briars and all, and then ran over them with um, wagons or chariots. I I don't know, we're not told. But I do know this, thorns and briars not only picture the curse, as I mentioned a minute ago, but they also illustrate the cares of the world that choke out the gospel. And what a picture we have here of the Lord destroying those who do such things. Gideon also tore down the tower of Peniel that they put their trust in. You see, Christ, as I said, is the only high tower that a sinner can put any trust in. To trust in another brings about certain death. And uh, an interesting note here is that the men of Succoth and Peniel faced God's wrath before the kings of Midian did. You know, little things you... We don't see it first, but he brings them back to the men of Succoth and Peniel to to show them God's deliverance, their deliverance into Gideon's hands. And uh, I, I thought as I read that, if you're not of God, then you're against Him. To refuse to help God's servants and to help God's people is to be God's enemy. Rebelling against God's chosen leader is the same as assisting the enemy. They were just as guilty, in some ways even more so. Sucking the sin of hardness of heart toward their brethren was treason against God. And that's the way God took it. And that's how God dealt with it. Verse 18, Then said He Gideon unto Ziba and Zalmunna, what manner of men were they whom you slew at Tabor? And they answered, as thou art. So were they, each one resembled the children of a king. Now Gideon's father from what I've been able to, to read and look at in his uh, Jewish history was wealthy and he resembled a king and his brethren dressed uh, Gideon and his brethren dressed as princes. In verse 9, and he said, They were my brethren. These men that you killed in Tabor, they were my brethren, even the sons of my mother. And as the Lord liveth, if you had saved them alive, I would not slay you. You see, he wasn't obligated by the law of God to put them to death. They were considered prisoners of war. They were not required to be killed. But because they were murderers and had slain the Israelites his own brethren, in cold blood, they deserved to die. And since they had slain Gideon's own brethren, he was their avenger of blood. And Gideon, according to the law of God, had the right to avenge their death. In verse 20, And he said unto Jethar his firstborn, his oldest son, he said, Up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared because he was yet a youth. You see, being the near kinsman of his father's brethren, Gideon's son was a proper person to avenge their death. Plus, it was a real dishonor for these two kings to die by the hand of a youth. And I was thinking, we can't expect those that are young in the faith and in the Lord to act as mature believers. The, this young lad hadn't yet fully experienced the evil within man. He had a great deal yet to learn, and we must be patient with young believers as they grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. But look at verse twenty-one. Then zebun and Ziamuna said, "Rise thou and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength." And this is what these two kings desired they chose rather to die by the hand of a great man like Gideon you see it was more honorable for them to die by the than to die by the hand of a youth and i i again I, as I considered this, I thought even in their death they were selfish they said for as the man is so is his strength and what they meant by that was this Gideon had the strength to kill them with one blow just one swipe of the sword cut off their head. And they knew that that young boy might have to hack on them for a while before they killed them. And this would bring about a lingering and painful death. So they're thinking of themselves even in death. And again, verse 21, and Gideon arose and he slew Zeba and Zalmunna and he took away the ornaments that were on their camel's necks. And then when Gideon arrived back home, he was honored as a true hero. With only 300 men, he had defeated the army and returned with the spoils. And that brings us to the fourth thing I want you to see. And that's the depravity of men, even when they're God's people. You know, uh, the Lord saves us by His grace and And we have the very righteousness of Christ that we deal with this old nature and this old man that is totally, completely depraved. Look at verse 22. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hands of Midian. Wrong. No, they hadn't. The Lord had. The Lord had delivered them. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. Look at those last words. The Lord shall rule over you. They wanted to make Gideon their king. This was a natural response. And it actually proved their depravity. Knowing it was the Lord who had triumphed. Knowing it was the Lord who had defeated the enemy. Knowing all these things, they still desired to have an earthly king instead of recognizing the Lord of lords and the king of kings as their king. That This desire by the people was actually blasphemy. God being their ruler, God being their protector, was, uh, He was the one that separated God's people from the rest of the world. Earthly kings are not to be desired by the people of God. Uh, they desire for a visible human king. Uh, their desire for a human visible king reveals that they desire to be just like the rest of the world. Yes, you remember when they, when Saul was made king God told the prophet not to to anoint a king. He was their king. He was their monarch. He was their one and only potentate. But they had to have a king. And they got Saul. And he wasn't a good king. God gave them what they wanted. I don't want God to give me what I want. God's people have but one king. King Jesus. Gideon said, The Lord shall rule over you. This was something that Israel struggled with all throughout their history. Over and over they desired an earthly king. They needed a government other than God's. Christ is the the head of the church, friend. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And how comforting it is for us to know that the Lord rules over us. Gideon knew it. And you and I, by God's grace, know that we know it's the Lord that rules. In closing, I want to read a passage found in 1 Chronicles. I want to turn you there. Three verses. Listen carefully to these words. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 through 13. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord. Thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee. And thou reignest over all. And in thy hand is power and might. And in thy hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Let me dismiss with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are our king. The victory, the glory, and the majesty is all yours. Heaven and earth is your kingdom. You are our king. All we have comes from you. All power and might is yours to give. You lift up. You bring down. You kill. And you make alive. You give the strength that your people need. And Lord, we thank you and praise you as our King. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.